All right. Go ahead and make your way to your seats. Worst financial advice. We should put a, a coffee table book together uh, with bad advice. Uh, I think for me, probably the worst advice, and this is kind of money, you know, people think different things about money, and so you may disagree with what we're going to talk about today. I'm curious to see what your thoughts on that are. Um, but I think probably the worst advice that I was given is if you can afford payments, you can afford it. And then uh, later I came to realize that if you have to make payments, you probably can't afford it. <laughs> so, uh, but you, again, you may, you may totally disagree, and that's totally fine. Uh, hey, today we're going to talk really practically. So if you're looking for a like, super spiritual, we're going to break down Leviticus and how that applies to your finances. Uh, it's not going to be today. Um, you ever hear about um, like being so heavenly minded you're of no earthly good? Right? I remember years ago I was <clears throat> talking to a friend of mine starting a young adult ministry down in Texas. He's like, can I pitch the idea to you? And I was like, sure, go ahead. And he, so he's like, it's called like, it was something like Vision 22 or something like that. And it was, I'm sure that 22 was, was like a Bible verse related, you know. And I was like, it's like, what is Vision 22? And he's like, it's this gathering where heaven meets earth. So, okay, what is it? Well, it's like, it's where, it's a belief that, that anything is possible. I was like, no, no, no. When is it? Oh, it's Thursdays at 7 o'clock. Okay, there. See, that's actually helpful. I know what to do with that, right? Sometimes we as a church can be so, like, way up here, it's not helpful at all. You have to nod your head or else you look unspiritual, right? And so today's going to be the opposite of that. Today's going to be uber practical. See, we believe that God created a natural order of things, right? And we have to submit to those order of things or it affects your life and you know, typically negative ways, right? So, like, God created us to uh, drink water, right? And so you can go, well, I don't believe that, so I'm not going to drink water. We'll try it for a couple days. We'll see how that goes for you, right? And you can pray all you want, and you're like, I'm, I'm feel tired. I feel, like, like dehydrated. I don't know why, but I'm just going to pray about it. I'm going to memorize verses about it, and I'm going to go to groups and talk about it. And it's like, well, maybe you should just drink water. You know, because that's the way God created it. Look, you can, you can believe it or not, but gravity is going to pull you down. Right? You can, some of us, gravity has a little more pull on us now than before COVID. Right? So just a little, little 10% more. Right? If you skydive or you drop a penny off a, a skyscraper, it's going to fall or it's going to accelerate at the same rate. Uh, same rate right? So 9.8, what? Meters per second per second for those of you guys that remember basic physics. Right? Try to disobey it. Try to pray about it, right? At some point, the natural order of things will take over. It doesn't matter what you believe. And see, finances is one of those areas that just has a natural order to it. It permeates every area of your life. Finances reveal your priorities. Finance has, has the ability to guide your hearts. We'll talk about that. And great moves of God throughout the centuries from the beginning of time, the building of the temple, Old Testament, prophecies, all, to the New Testament, to Jesus' ministry, to the early church, were all funded by really normal people. Every once in a while you see speckled in there some of these, these gajillionaires, but for the most part, there were very normal people like you and me that financed these great moves of God. So finances have the ability to change lives. But the thing is, if you don't get this area of your life right, your desire to give, your desire to be generous, your desire to make a difference will be overcome by the weight of bad decisions. It will be overcome by debt. 
And you're going to want to be generous. You're going to want to give. You're going to want to sponsor the child or help that person on the mission strip or feed the person, clothe the person, dig the well, whatever, but you're not going to be able to because of the previous bad decisions. So we're going to help you. And here's the thing, whether you are, you find yourself, you're like, I just entered the workforce. I don't have any money. Great. This is a great place to start. Or maybe you find yourself on the other end of the spectrum where you're going, I've made so many bad decisions over time. I don't know what to do. You can start moving in, this, in, in the right direction. You know what they say is like, what's the best day to plant a tree was yesterday? The second best day is today, right? What's the best day to get your finances in order? Yesterday. Second best day, today, right? So let's get moving in the right direction. The problem is you're not going to be able to pray your way out of bad decisions financially, right? You're not going to be able to, uh, like, imagine if I was cutting my hand with a knife and then going, guys, would you just pray for me? And pray that God would heal? Yeah, we'll pray for healing, but you might want to stop cutting yourself too, right? Some of us, we have so much stress and anxiety and worry around finances. Our life is consumed by the thought of it. And the reality is if we just stop cutting ourselves, start moving in the right direction, let the natural order of things guide us the way God designed it to happen. The problem is, as, as important as finances are, who teaches on it? I learned some good habits from my parents. I learned a lot of bad habits from my parents, right? I didn't, I took every AP course my high school offered because I'm Asian, right? So it's kind of, you have to play ping pong, tennis, you know, and then get like A's, not A minuses, A's for every AP class, right? But you know what I wish I would have had? Basic finance class. Because I'm not doing AP Calc 2 today. I mean, as shocker, as a pastor, I'm not using calculus very often. I don't even know if I can do basic geometry at this point, right? I Siri just does everything for me, right? But what I would love to do is learn. Oh, Siri's on my. Okay, stop. Okay. <clears throat> um, I would have loved for someone to go. Here's how you do a simple checking account. Here's how you navigate investments. Here's how you navigate debt. Here's healthy debt, bad debt, all that kind of stuff. So who teaches on it? Churches tend to swing in major paradigm shifts. So their pendulum swings way this way, heavy financial teaching. There's an offering sermon before the, the, the normal sermon, right? Some of us have where churches like that. Every week there's like finances, 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 or the other end of the spectrum, which I feel like we kind of lean into, especially the first year and a half before the pandemic, is we never really taught about finances because we didn't want people to come to church for the first time or maybe someone who used to go to church and left church for whatever reason and then came back to church at voice and then was like the first thing they hear is about finances. There's a reason why we just let you know, hey, here's a giving slide, let's pray as we dismiss. We don't talk about like have this big offering because we're so, we're so afraid of looking like this. We're so afraid of you coming for the first time at Voice. You're watching online. You're going, okay, are they raising money for the jet for the pastor now? Right? Like we just so don't want to be that way. So we've gone to this extreme and we want to find balance as a church. Um, also want to say, I didn't ask them to talk about pastor appreciation much. I asked, asked, forgot about it until you said anything. So if you're like, Talk, I asked the elders. I did not. I had nothing to do with that. Uh, but yeah, appreciate it. Um, <clears throat> so with that, how do we approach finances? Jesus talked about money more than any other 
topic. Literally, more than heaven and hell, more than relationships, the majority of his parables involved money. Why? Why? I want you to think about this. Why? Was Jesus doing a building campaign? Was Jesus trying to raise money for a a short-term mission trip he was going on? No. Why? If Jesus was interested in in the molding of our hearts and he talked about money more than anything else, why? Maybe it's because nothing shapes our hearts like our finances. Maybe there's something to it there. You can put up the slide. Few things affect your life like money. Few things affect your life like money. Few things reveal your values like money. One of the things we say around here a lot is you don't speak your values, you reveal them. Few things reveal your values like money. If someone was to look at your, here's an old-fashioned statement, if someone were to look at your checking account, if you were born in like the 2000s, you're probably like, what is this checking account you speak of? Is that like my Venmo? So few things reveal your values like your transaction history. How about that, right? Few things guide your heart like money. If you want your heart to be invested into something, give. For example, if you, are, if you find yourself hearing so many, like so much bad news around the world, you almost become numb to it. Oh, another bombing, another earthquake, another tsunami. It's like blah, blah, blah. And you're like, I don't want my heart to be there, but I feel like my heart is there. You know what you can do? Find an organization you trust serving the people there and give. You're going to find your heart caring about it more. Right? Why? That's the way God designed it. That's why God designed it. So few things guide your heart like money. You, I don't know many other ways to guide your heart other than time and money. What you invest your time and money into is where your heart will go, right? Jesus talked about that. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, right? Few things could make a significant difference in the world like money. Every great organization, every great movement, every great social justice initiative around the world is heavily funded or else it's dead in the water. Few things make a difference in this world like money can. That's why we need to talk about it. Money's an incredible tool. It's a terrible God. Money's an incredible tool. It's a terrible God. It is just a tool. With it, we can change lives. With it, we can change family trees, literally change family trees, end cyclical uh, decisions and curses almost, if you want to term it that way, in families. Just terminate it. Start over again. Reboot the family tree. Money can point people to Jesus. Those of us that that we are Christ followers today, a big reason is because someone gave to create an environment, to pay for a a counselor or a pastor or a ministry or a TV program or however you found the Lord, right? The Bible that you read, they started by funding a translation committee to create that. And now your life and my life is impacted years later, right? Money can bring people to Jesus. Money can bring hope. And those of you guys have been in hard times, and all of us have been in hard times. If you're not, we will be. There's nothing like when someone, the answer to prayer looks like someone being faithful, giving, sending you the Venmo, sending the flowers, buying dinner, in those moments, money brings hope, right? Because you know in that moment, it's not 100 bucks. It's hope. It's not flowers. It's not a meal train. It's hope. It's hope. That's what money can be. But 
some of us make money a god. We aren't going to find our identity in money. We aren't going to find fulfillment in money. We aren't going to find our mission in money. You won't find hope there. And I know we think, well, maybe this next thing it will be. You won't. Because has it given you hope before? So what we're going to do is we're going to get super practical. Now that we've kind of framed kind of what it is, and some of this we are like, this is kind of unspiritual, but we're going to talk about Ten Commandments of Finances, all right? Ten Commandments of Finances, five thou shalt, five thou shalt not. So the first one is thou shalt work hard, all right? Some of the dads in the room are like, amen, say it again for my kids in the back. Thou shalt work hard. The Bible says that calls money the fruit of one's labor, not the withdrawal from the trust fund, okay? It calls money the fruit of one's labor. That's good. We've talked about this before, but work didn't come after the fall. God created Adam and Eve, gave them work before the fall. Responsibility and work is good. I remember years ago reading this magazine called Ink Magazine. You guys ever read that one? It's got a really cool, almost sandpaper cover. Anyways, they have great design, great stuff. I mean, at least 20 years ago they did <clears throat> but one of the articles, one of the, or one of the um, magazines came in, and it's the big headlines in the front. Why become a millionaire? Like, well, that should be a very short article. It'll just say, so you have a million dollars, right? <laughs> Done. Send it. Publish. It didn't. It was a long article about what it happens inside of you to create a million dollars. The mindsets you'll have to confront, the insecurities, the work ethic, the creative thinking, right? This is not talking about like I became a TikTok star. It's talking about actually, actually building something to build a million dollars. And then they said, if you, if you learn how to make a million dollars, you can lose it and learn how to make it again. This isn't about getting the million dollars. It's about what it takes out of you, what it creates in you to create a million dollars. And that's, I, see, I think the same thing about work. Work isn't about the thing you're creating only. Work is about what God wants to do in you. Responsibility, integrity, follow-through, closing the loop, honoring people's decisions, even if they're not your decisions, leaving unified in meetings, all sorts of great lessons that are godly lessons from work. Things that you can never learn on your couch, binge-watching friends, right? Look, People today, and I, this is what, I, I wrote this down, I'm going, this makes me sound really old. People are growing up, this generation, people are growing up with a deterrence to hard work. Just Google, like, um, Gen Z future plans, Gen Z career. You'll see a crazy percentage of individuals that their goal is to become famous. That's the career plan. What? And the thing is, it has worked. It, it, and I don't have time, I'm, I'm time to go into it. But labor increases your skill. Labor increases your intellect, both for work and relationally. And I'm going to say this, and I want to clarify it, so don't get mad at me at first. Laziness, laziness, habitual laziness will result in lower income. It will result in higher debt will result in dependence on credit cards and dependence on other people. Let me say it again. Laziness will result in lower income, will result in higher debt, 
will result in dependence on others, will result on dependence on credit cards. Now, am I saying that if you make a lower income, you're lazy? No, that's not what I'm saying. But if you have laziness as your first goal, if every time you bump into something that takes work, you go this way, it will result in lower income, dependence on credit cards, dependence on other people, bumming 20 off your friends all the time. Like this is what that lifestyle will be. Okay, so thou shalt work hard. Thou shalt work hard. Most people don't pursue their dreams because when you actually get to doing it, it just looks like hard work. Right? Thou shalt work hard, and it's a good thing. Number two, thou shalt establish a plan. Thou shalt establish a plan. Now, I am not sophisticated. All right, so I don't have this like John would have a way more sophisticated financial plan than I would. I'm super basic in so many ways, right? Here's my plan, 10-10-80, 10-10-80. My wife and I, Natalie, we, since before we got married, we gave God 10%, we saved 10%, we live off 80. We've always done it, and here's why. How many of you guys showered this morning? How many of you showered this week? Please everyone's hands, okay? Some of you guys were like, well, what's that, what's that smell? Well, now you know, okay? so. How many of you guys washed dishes this week, right? How many of you guys flipped switches and things turned on and off this week? Do you know why? Way before your apartment, your condo, your house was built, plans were drawn up. And a general contractor said, plumbing, you come in this day, framers, you come in this day, HVAC, you come in this day. They had a plan so that when you turned on the water, it didn't come out of the wall out of a hole. It didn't come up out of the floor. So that when you flip the switch, things actually happen. Why? Because there was a plan. So that the water goes to useful places. Ask any financial advisor, and they'll tell you, you want to feel like you got a raise? Just create a budget. Just create a budget, and you'll feel like you got a 10% raise. So our plan is 10, 10, 80. Remember back in the day, like Carrot Top would go up and have like the 10, 10 something phone plan? That's what I think of anytime I hear this. If you guys don't know what I'm talking about, then. You're probably born way after me. Um, 10, 10, 80. Let me give you an example. If there's a husband and wife that each make $30,000 a year, okay? Not in one lump sum, but over the course of the year. Husband and wife each make $30,000. If they live by this plan, 10, 10, 80, then over the 25 years, over 25 years, they will have given $150,000. Think about that. They would have given $150,000 to feeding the hungry, to missions, to clean water, to education for kids, to counseling, for people finding God, for changing family trees. They would have given $150,000. How cool would that be? For the 10% they put away in savings, if they just got a 5% return. I know some of you guys who are big into crypto are like, 5%, that's nothing. Okay, sure. But then it swings the negative way too. Anyways, we're going to have to talk about it. 5% return, Okay. They'd have $321,000 in the bank. Wait another 20 years, they'd have over a million dollars. 10, 10, 80. It's not sophisticated. You're like, well, are you doing a Roth or are you doing a normal? 10, 10, 80. Just who cares where you put it in? I'm sure you will care. You can look at, talk to your tax lawyer about all that. But don't do nothing and then talk about how sophisticated the plan that you're not doing is. Okay? 10, 10, 80. Some of us, if we're honest, we're on the 0, 0, 0100 plan. Or we're on the 0, 0, 0105 plan. We spend 5% more than we make. Okay? 
Here's my challenge to you. And I really hope this bothers you. Start with the 1198. Start there. Don't overthink it. Don't beat yourself over it. 1198. How much money do you bring home every month? Take 1%, give it to God. Take 1%, put it away in savings. Retirement, 401k, Roth, ins- I don't know, I don't care. It doesn't matter. Just put it away. Okay? Put it cash it out and put it under your mattress and lose 4% a year with inflation. Whatever you want to do, it'll be more than what you had if you didn't do it, right? Then move up. How quickly, gamify it. How quickly can you get to 2296 and 3394? That's as far as I can go, even though I did Calc 2. Okay, so <laughs> just start with something. And what you're going to find, here's what you're going to find. It's really cool to see that savings account grow. And then what happens is when you have enough in savings, not a ton, you don't need to have $500,000 in savings to feel this, but here's what's going to happen. You get $1,000 in savings, which I realize for some of you guys that's nothing. For some of us, that would be life-changing. And then what happens? Your car breaks down, you need a tire, you need brakes. Now it's an inconvenience, not a dear God, what am I going to do? Why? Because you had a plan, right? Now you can look back and when you do your taxes, you know, our favorite time of the year, when you do your taxes, you can say, look at how much I gave away. Look at all the good that God is doing because what I gave away. It's awesome. So 10, 10, 80 is what I pray that you get to. Or what you're going to find too is you may be living off of less, but you're going to feel like you have more. Some of us are wondering why God isn't blessing our finances. How could he? We're asking God to grow seeds that we haven't planted. Just, it's, I know it sounds like spiritual woo-woo, like magic. It's not, but it is supernatural. It is supernatural. I don't have time to go into it, but I can tell you so many stories of how God has provided for us when this didn't make sense, but it made a ton of sense. Number three, and actually became a great witness to some people. Number three. Thou shalt avoid debt like the plague. Thou shalt avoid debt like the plague. As awesome as compound interest is on the positive, it's scary on the negative. It's a nightmare. If you say you bought a, you want like a, you got a new, new edition, you're like, I want a couch and I want uh, some decorations and a TV and whatever, right? And so you, you've been seven, seven, 7,500 bucks. And you're like, oh, I don't know if I can afford this. And Lowe's goes, you can just take out a credit card. Right? You'll save 10%. Why would they give you 10%? Because they know they're going to get you on the back end. Okay? So if you had $7,500 on a loan, on a, on a line of credit at 18%, if you paid $150 a month towards that, because again, some of us go, I can't afford it, but I can afford the monthly, so I can afford it. Well, let me walk this out for you. $7,500 at 18%, which is actually pretty good by today's standards, right? 18%. If you pay $150 a month, do you know how long it would take you to pay off $7,500? 30 years and two months. After that couch has been given away two decades ago, you're still paying it off. And after 30 years and two months for that $7,500 or whatever, you would have paid $23,000. What's the lesson here? Avoid debt like the plague. Avoid debt like the plague. Number four, we got to keep cruising. Thou shalt distinguish between wants and needs. Thou shalt distinguish between wants and needs. 
When I was growing up, I'd be like, Dad, I, want, I need a new He-Man thing. I need this. I, need this. I used to watch a show called Mask, which is like the anti-G.I. Joe. Super cool. Just Google it. Look it on YouTube. I'm sure there's still uh, episodes on there. But I'd tell them, I need, I need the new Mask, you know, action figure. And there were hundreds of them. I think that for a reason. Like, collect all 5,000 of them, right? Ask your dad. So I'd tell my dad, I need this or that. And my dad would say, look, you need air, food, and a little bit of water. Right? Just super like Japanese immigrant. If food, you need food, you know, air, and a little bit of water. Everything else is a want, right? So, wants aren't bad. Wants aren't bad. I think a, a good heavenly father is just like a good parent wants to give your kids what they want sometimes, especially when they're obeying and they're being good. Like when they do something really nice and sweet, especially when they're little, you're like, what do you want? You want ice cream? You want a new toy? What are, right? And I think, where do we get that from? I think God the Father is like that. He wants to give us some of our wants. Wants aren't bad. It's not bad to have nice things. But if your wants take power over God, if your wants increase your debt, and the more important, if your wants take you away from obedience to God, then they're no longer wants. When your wants become needs, then what you begin to what begins to happen is what you own begins to own you. Your wants have to stay wants, not needs. When they become needs, then you need them. Then you can't give them away. Then you can't live without them. Right? Because there's going to be times when God says, I want to bless you with a new car. I want to bless you with this. And then there's times where God goes, I want you to give that away. If it's a want, thank you for my time with it. Now I bless someone else with it. If it's a need, no, it's like air. I can't, I can't live without that. And it becomes a God. Number five, we don't, have, we don't have time to unpack a lot of this. Number five, thou shalt determine when enough is enough. Thou shalt determine when enough is enough. Luke 12 talks about this guy who has so much stuff that he builds bigger and bigger barns to store all of his stuff. The rest of the teaching, God refers to him as a rich fool. Right? And so maybe today we don't have barns, but we throw stuff in the attic and we throw stuff in the garage and we throw stuff, we get storage units to store all the stuff that we have because we have too much stuff. I don't want to get to the end of my life and have God go, fool. Fool. What'd you need all that stuff for? Why'd you need to have more space to store stuff to impress people you didn't care about? While you're looking for hope and fulfillment and joy and stuff, and you knew it wouldn't bring you joy and hope and fulfillment, because the last 50,000 things didn't bring you joy and hope and fulfillment. Thou shalt determine when enough is enough. Those are all thou shalt. Now the five thou shalt nots. Number six, thou shalt not get involved in get-rich-quick schemes. Sweet Lord, thou shalt not get involved in get-rich-quick schemes. Again, work is good. If you acquire wealth, you have the character necessary to use it. This is why there's so many cautionary tales of individuals who won the lottery or incredible athletes who went from nothing to making 10 mil a year. They didn't have the character the habits to know how to use it. So as quick as they got it, the, the, the faster they fell. They lost it all because they didn't know how to handle it. And a lot of those, especially lottery winners, would tell you that it was a curse. It wasn't a blessing. I know all of us go, wouldn't it be a curse to me? Maybe, maybe. But work is good. Don't get involved in get-rich-quick schemes. Don't take God's money and give it away. It's poor stewardship. 
that dollar that you gave to the pyramid scheme or the $395 or whatever it was for you to get into the thing could have been used to feed someone. That dollar could have been used to clothe someone. It could have been used for something good instead of feeding an addiction. So don't get involved in get-rich-quick schemes. Number seven, thou shalt not compete with the Joneses. Thou shalt not compete with the Joneses harder than ever in the light of social media. Because before I only saw what my, 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 my people, people on my street, what their lawns looked like. Now I know what everyone's lawns look like. I only knew what my, where my close friends went to vacation. Now I know where everyone goes on vacation. Now I know, and on any given night, one of my friends is in Hawaii, is having a really nice dinner, just got their spouse flowers, uh, someone else got new clothes, someone else is at Disney, someone else, I'm just like, they're all doing so much cool stuff, and I'm folding laundry at home. You know what I mean? Or thinking about folding laundry and deciding maybe tomorrow. Made one more episode, and I'll do that tomorrow, right? Thou shalt not compete with the Joneses. Thou shalt not compete with the Joneses. Someone gets a new kitchen, so you're like, I think we need a new kitchen. Someone gets new clothes, so you need new clothes. Someone goes on a fancy vacation, so you're like, well, maybe we need to, we should do that. Treat ourselves. It's been a hard year. Someone gets a new car, so all of a sudden you need a new car. And it's so funny how we can justify it, right? It's like, man, when you think about it, Tesla's actually the economical choice. Think, I'll, I'll, I'll save like $50 a week on gas. You'll have a $1,000 car payment, but I'll save $50 a week on gas. If I drive that for 182 years, I'll, I'll break even, right? We justify it, right? I'm not saying Teslas are bad. I hope to own one one day. But someone gets a new car, so you need to. But do you know, do you know the winner of this little competition gets? A mountain of debt. That's what the winner gets. I have a quick way to get out of this. If you find yourself competing with somebody else, and they might not even realize they're in the competition, but you are, right? And the quick way to get out of this competition is just declare them the winner. Just declare them the winner. Go to their house. Buy, buy them a little trophy from Walmart, right? And just go, you win, man. Best wheels on the block. Best. Your car is always so clean. Your grass, amazing. That shade of green, don't know how much water you pay, worth it. You win. Mine looks like the Sahara, but yours, you win. Best dressed. You always have the best clothes. I can't compete. I submit to you. I concede. You win. Just declare them the winner. There's a dangerous word that we all have to deal with, and that word is more. More. If you have more as your goal, you'll never have enough. If you have more as your goal, You'll never have joy or peace or gratitude. If more is your goal, then you're going to pull everyone around you into that quicksand with you. And you know it, right? Like, you know the people you hang out with, and when you're with them, you're like, my phone is kind of old. I mean, it's last year's model, right? You hang out with them, you're like, my car's, God, I have over 100,000 miles on my car. And when you get around some people, you sense discontent. Why? Because their desire for more is contagious. But do you know what else is contagious? Contentment. Contentment. You have enough. You have a car. You make money. You have food. A lot of us have too much food, right? So, Thou shalt not compete with the Joneses. Number eight, thou shalt not make major financial decisions without getting wise counsel. 
Thou shalt not make major financial decisions without getting wise counsel. I'm not saying you need to ask your wife every time you get a cheeseburger, okay? Unless you eat too many cheeseburgers, that's between you and your doctor uh, and your blood pressure, okay? So, but don't make big financial, and you, here's what I encourage you to do. If you're married, set a number. There were times when Nally and I, we wouldn't make any financial decisions if it was over $100 without talking to each other, right? Now it's a little higher than that because I don't want to micromanage. We have too much stuff going on, right? But whatever you're at, and here's how you know your number. If you saw on the checking account they spent that much money without asking you, what amount would tick you off? That's the number, <laughs> all right? That's the number you should talk about before making that decision. But also, some of us, can I just be honest? Some, too many of us get financial advice from people who have a lot of debt. We get financial advice from people who want more stuff than they want more of God. And then we wonder why we become like them. When you take someone's advice, what you're saying is, well, what they're telling you is, do what I say and you become like me. So listen to wise people. Listen to people who are following God and are not like stingy, but are generous, but also are wise with their finances. That you can be generous and also wise. Right? Are they faithful to God? Listen to those people, but get wise counsel from wise people. Okay? Number nine. You might not like me for this. It's maybe some of the ladies. Thou shalt not go to the mall or surf shopping websites or apps for fun. It's weird, man. Like, whenever you, whenever you end a session scrolling through Pinterest or, like, on the, your Nordstrom app or whatever, whatever place you go to, whatever your thing is, and guys be like, yeah, okay, well, what is it for you? Like, for me, it's like outdoor stuff. It's like, oh, man, I need a new tent. No, I don't. You know what I mean? It's like, what? I, I'm fine, right? It's, it takes an amazing amount of energy to go through that stuff and not have discontent brew in your heart. Right? Just be honest about it. Just be honest about it. How many of you guys ended your scrolling session or looking or walking through South Coast, whatever you're doing, and not bought anything? And then got back in your car, closed the app, and was like, I feel more content than ever. So happy about my wardrobe. So happy about how my place is decorated. Love my couch more than ever. Love my, I love my jeans, my shoes. Awesome. Doesn't happen. Doesn't happen. So I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying guard your heart, especially if you want to get your finances in order. Right? So... Last one, number 10. Thou shalt not orient your whole life around money. And you're like, talk, you just spent the whole sermon talking about money, right? The whole point of focusing on money is so you don't live your life focusing on money. Systematize it. What Jesus asked us to center our life around was around two things, our relationship with him and our relationship with people. This is why when you're on your deathbed, this is why when you have a near-death experience, what are you concerned about? How am I with God? How am I with people? Right? It's baked into our DNA. No one has a near-death experience, you know, on a car accident or whatever, and we're like, oh, my biggest fear is I thought I was bleeding out was I should have gotten the better countertops. Right? 
You're thinking, I should have reconciled with my dad. I don't know how Jesus and I are. Right? Why? So why not live as if that is true now? You cannot determine the cards you've been dealt. We can, we can go, oh, if I grew up on that side of the tracks, if I had married that person, if I got this promotion, blah, 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 blah. Right? You cannot determine the cards you've been dealt, but you can determine how you play the ones you have. Right? I can't tell you how many times I used to run this internship, and I have these, these like 21-year-olds that are going, one day I'm going to be a millionaire, and I'm going to give half of my money away. Okay, cool. Gold star for you. Here's the thing. The last $100 you've gotten, how much of that did you give away? If you can't give a dollar out of your $100, you are not going to go stroke a $500,000 check later. You haven't built the muscles for that. So, how are you living out what you believe now? My challenge to you would be, handle your finances with a tone of generosity. Just an overall tone. You're going to have to say no to some things or else you're going to be homeless. You're have to, you can't say yes to everything, right? Have a tone of generosity, though, that you lean towards the yes with wisdom. Have eternity in perspective with your finances. Have eternity in perspective. Don't just, don't just think on the short term. Think long term. I'm talking a thousand year long term, long after your worm food. Okay? Think with eternity in perspective. Have a heart of gratitude. Have a heart of gratitude. People helped you help others. People blessed you bless others. And then have a wise mind. Don't ask, why can't things be different? Ask, God, how can I be faithful with what you've given me? Okay? Worship, if you want to come up, last thoughts. Here's the progression. Those of you guys that were engaged a couple weeks ago, we talked about this a little bit. But here's the progression. We go from, number one, God, here's some of my money. This is where all of us start at some point. And that may be where you're at right now. This may be you when you were 15, just started going to church, and you were mowing lawns, and you got your 20 bucks, and you start with, God, here's some of my money. Here's a dollar, right? And then we move, as we grow in our obedience to God, we move to number two, which is, God, how much of my money do you want? And this is spiritual maturity, right? This isn't like, here's a dollar. This is like, okay, God, I have $20 for mowing the lawn. I'm scared to ask this. How much do you want? What's this going to put me out, right? But I'll, I'll do whatever you want, God, but I hope it's not 20. Right? But you're willing to say, you say five, I'll do five, God. There's someone in need, and you're going, I'll give, right? Okay, number three, this is where we go to. God, how can I be generous with what you've given me? This is a huge leap for a lot of us. Most of us don't make it there. Most of us stay in number one, to be honest. This is a huge leap. God, how can I be generous with what you've given me? Now, here's the thing. I'm not talking about giving just a voice. This is not what this is about. This is not a 30-minute manipulative way to get you to go to voice.church forward slash give. That's not the goal of this. This is because Christians, if you think of adjectives that God would want his church to be known for, his followers to be known for, humble, teachable, generous, selfless, loving, putting others first, considering others better than yourself. These are like what the Bible says we're supposed to be. If you were to ask your average person on the street that is not going to church today, what do you think of Christians? Those would not be the adjectives that were used to describe us today. Why? Because we're not doing this. Okay, I'm going to get off my high horse. Number three, how can I be generous? So this is us going, okay, it's, it's not about how much do you want, God. I don't want to do just enough. 
If you say $3, I'm going to be like, thank God, $3. But it's like, God, I don't want to be generous. I know this is when we realize God's going to cover all your needs. Cover all of it. He always has, always will. So God, what do you want me to do? And then the ultimate goal, number four. This is what I want you to pray about. God, how can I get here? God, what do you want me to do with all your resources? The epiphany here is that it was never my stuff. It was never my house, never my car. It was never my money. It's all God's. The word God uses is steward. Steward. In Scripture, he talks about the parable of the talents. There's a couple of different variations of it. But essentially, he tells a story about a, a guy that owns a vineyard that leaves, that gives three different servants, three different levels of talents, denarius, money, essentially cash. He Venmo's them different amounts of money. Okay? And then he comes back and says, what'd you do with it? That whenever there's stewardship, there's accountability. Whenever there's responsibility, there's accountability. Okay? So our responsibility is, God, you gave me all this stuff. It's all yours. What do you want me to do with all your stuff? One day God will return. One day we're going to take our last breath and God's going to ask us, what did you do with everything I provided you? What did you do with everything I provided you? Did you hoard it? Or did you live out my values? We're going to end by saying the same thing we did at the beginning. Few things affect your life like money. Few things affect your life like money. Few things reveal your values like how you spend money. Few things guide your heart like money. And few things can make a significant difference in the world like money. So, depending on where you're at, different parts probably felt applicable to you. But here's the thing, overarching theme. We're in this together. So Nally and I are here. The elders are here. How are we going to pray for you? Again, our goal is not you to give more money to the church. Our goal is to be a generous person, just in general. Because if you can be generous with the money God has trust in your hands, you know what? You're going to be generous with just about everything else. I've met very few people that are generous with their finances, that aren't generous with, generous with their time, that aren't generous with the car, that aren't generous with, with the, the house that God has given them. Because if God can pry your fingers apart and give financially, he'll have your heart. That's the big goal. And I just want to say too, before we end, I'm so thankful to be part of a generous church. So many of you guys, if I were to say, hey guys, we're raising money to sponsor children, we're raising money to support a single parent, you guys would all be venoming on me before I even leave church today. So thank you for being part of a generous church. You guys open your homes, you guys are just so generous, so thank you for that. Let's continue to be that. But if you need prayer, if you're in debt, if you are trying to figure out a plan, there are people in the church that are financial advisors that would love to partner with you to help you get out of debt, give you a plan. You just need some wise counsel, right? If you need prayer, elders are here. We'd love to pray for you because uh, it, is, is it is a spiritual issue. Finances are not a numbers issue. It's a heart issue. The financial debt we get into is not because we can't do math. It's a heart issue. It's a discontentment issue. It's a wisdom issue. It's very rarely ever a, a numbers issue. So, we want to pray for you, okay? Let me, if you want to stand to your feet, we're going to pray, and then we'll sing this song together, right? God, we just thank you. God, thank you for 
everything you bless us with, that there are so many people around this world that would love to trade shoes with us. We are blessed. We are blessed. God, for whatever amount of time you give us left on this earth, would you help us to use the finances you put into our hands to make a difference in this world? Would the hungry be fed? Would those that are voiceless be given voice? Would those that are hopeless be given hope? And ultimately would be, would people find relationship with you, God, because of how we spend our resources? We give our money to you. Well, actually, we give your money, give us back to you as a sign of worship. Would it increase your kingdom? We love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's sing this again.